right, before I get to my next guest, Sean McKeel, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Positive Vibes Golf. You can find them online at PositiveVibesGolf.com and on Twitter at PVibesGolf. Folks, as I've said to you many, many times, their head covers and putter covers are a unique way to keep your mind focused on positive thoughts when you're out on the golf course, right? They're a great training aid because they help you stay positive by putting positive images in your mind. Every time you walk back to your golf bag and you put your head cover on, you put your putter cover on, it's going to put a smile on your face. See why I say that by going online to PositiveVibesGolf.com and give them a follow on Twitter again at PVibesGolf. All right, now back with me is a guy who's been a big part of this show over the years, and that's 2003 PGA champion Sean McKeel. As you guys have heard me say a number of times on this show and on social media, Sean, to me, is by far the most underrated player that's played on the PGA Tour, probably going back a couple of decades. On top of Sean's major championship victory, he finished second in the 2006 PGA Championship, finishing runner-up uh, behind Tiger Woods that year at Medina. Also finished second place at the 2006 World Match Play Championship after defeating Tiger Woods in the first round four and three. So, so far over the course of his career, he's had 20 top 10 finishes, 57 top 25. He's the only player to ever record a double eagle in the U.S. Open when he did it at the 2010 PGA, I mean, U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. And I'm very glad he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Sean, how are you, my friend? Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? How are things out in Memphis? Well, it's pretty quiet, really. He, uh, you know, things are maybe starting to open back up here in Tennessee a little bit, and uh, I think people are starting to dip their toes in the water a little bit. We'll see kind of where that leads, but uh, you know, really, it's been—I mean, for everybody, I guess—it's been a tough, probably nearly two months now. Um, so it's just—I've uh, been fortunate that my golf course at home uh, here in Tennessee, in Memphis um has been open you know with certain restrictions i think the health departments pay to pay to visit a few times to kind of make sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing but uh you know my kids are going to school via zoom and learning a lot more about technology than i ever thought i would <laughs> yes indeed haven't we all zoom has been a big thing goodness knows they've had a boom um Talk about you and your preparation. Are we, uh, we going to see you out on the Champions Tour when things uh, start to get back to normal? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I played last well, the last event that the Champions Tour had, which was in Newport Beach, I, uh, I qualified for. And I um, uh, actually played okay. Um, but, uh, you know, not being an exempt player, um, you know, it really comes down to, you know, getting a few invites if I can. Uh, there's a few majors that I get into, although, you know, we've lost the, uh, we've lost the senior PGA this year, which was to be at Benton Harbor, um, lost the U.S. senior open, uh, which was up in Rhode Island. So uh, there've been a few events kind of scratched from the schedule. So, um, you know, I'm only hearing that, uh, the champions tour is going to restart at the, the last week of July with the ally challenge there in uh, Flint, Michigan. Um, you know, hopefully I'd love to have a chance to play up there. If not, I guess I'll try to qualify. Then the following week will be the PGA. So at, at Harding Park, uh, provided that it's uh, either still on or still at that site. So, um, you know, really kind of just practicing every day and, and uh, you know, to think about it, really have almost not quite three months really before another event for me, um, you know. So, you know, a lot of balls in the air, like everybody. I mean, we're all kind of wondering what's going on, you know, what, 
you know, what's the next uh, ball to drop? Um, I think we're all, uh, well, I guess I should speak for myself. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing some good news and that's for everybody to kind of get back to work and, and doing the things that they love doing, you know, obviously safely, but, um, uh, yeah, so I'm just, I'm just kind of anxiously awaiting, uh, the next few months, but, uh, I really feel for like the, the people in the Olympics. And I think that, uh, it's tough, you know, you, you work, work so hard to, uh, to get your body in shape and then, and kind of have that be, uh, taken away from you. Then have to look another year, year and a half out. Uh, it's difficult. I think preparing for things that are so far into the future, but, but, uh, you know, they always just say kind of take it one day at a time. And that, that's, uh, I think that holds, holds true right now. And Sean, uh, to your point a moment ago about, uh, when I look back at the Hope classic, uh, finished tied for 31st there, nice final round of 68, but, um, you had shared a, a video. You, you went through Monday qualifying at Goose Creek golf club yeah. and, uh, you were a few feet away, it seems like, from a raging fire that took place uh, and cut that uh, qualifying tournament uh, short. What was that like? Well, I, I, you know, as I said, you know, probably I think we teed off pretty early, but it was uh, somewhere around the fifth or sixth hole, seventh hole, something like that. There was a just a little, kind of just a small column of brown smoke. I didn't really appear to be much. You just happened to see it in the distance. And then we made our way around and, and we saw this helicopter starting to fly back and forth. That column of smoke, of brown smoke, turned into quick, you know, heavy black smoke within, you know, didn't seem like very long. And that was what really kind of struck me is how quickly these fires, um, really how quickly they can, they can grow and they can spread. And we kind of found that. We were probably, like, I could feel the heat. I think I was on the 13th tee box. Um, and I would say it was probably within 75 to maybe a hundred yards of where we were standing. And, and you could feel the heat. The helicopter uh, really was overwhelmed. It was just one, one helicopter flying around and that quickly became two. Um, they had to pull us off the course for the fire marshal, uh, went back to the clubhouse and, um, you know, we were getting little bits of information by the on-site, uh, champions tour, uh, rules official. Everybody was kind of like, well, what are we going to do? And originally we thought that the plan was that the next high, the next four players, um, you know, and they went through a scenario of like, okay, what were you on the Charles Schwab Cup? What, you know, your career money wins list type of thing. So pretty much had four players in mind. I went back to my hotel kind of dejected thinking that, uh, you know, that's the way that it was going to be. And, and maybe that's without giving too much consideration that that's the way it should have been. Uh, I quickly found out too when once I got back to my hotel room that I uh, uh, they were really going to try to focus on the competition, and because everybody had played at least nine holes on either side, they just decided to take the two best scores off the front nine, and then two, two the two best scores off the back nine. And so uh, I was three under on on my side, so I I guess I won the qualifier. I guess if you want to say it that way, um, it was me and and Dave Moreland who actually finished top three or two or three at the event. So he did well. Um, so there were four of us, and that's how they picked. They took the two best scores off the front and the two best scores off the back nine, and, and that's how it how it kind of went. So we played the event, and I flew home on the 9th of, uh, of March. And then uh, so that was the last bit of competition I've had. So talk about that, right? Because as I was looking over how you uh, how you were playing and going back into into last year, 
And then uh, early parts of this year, it seems like you, you were making really good progress with your game. It was really rounding into shape. And like I say, you know, had a nice finishing round at the, uh, at the Hoga Classic. Um, talk about how you feel. How, how, how do you feel like your game is progressing? Well, I mean, there, was, there were a lot of things kind of going on in my life away from the course. I, I can't really get into that. Uh, maybe that'll, that'll, maybe I'll be able to speak to that later. But uh, just a lot of stuff going on. Uh, really it started about July and um but it's uh it's probably something I shouldn't have even just mentioned but it, it it really affected me and anyway so I didn't do too well at Q school and and um and which I was really hoping to to, to play well but um just kind of came into the year just thinking okay well I'm gonna have to do the Monday qualifiers again and maybe get a few exemptions and, and things like that but um I just uh you know I was going down to play the Lost Street Pro-Am. I don't even know what it was. I saw something on TV or Golf Channel or something. And it was talking, it was, a, it was just a, it was talking about the grip. I made a change in my golf grip uh, the day before I left to go play in the Lost Street Pro-Am, which is down in, in Palm Beach. And uh, I said, oh, what the heck, I'm going to try it. Went out there and hit a few balls. I think I made seven birdies. Um, so really my game was starting to come around and I've really just, just accidental find, um, you know, really had kind of, kind of had me trending in the right direction. So I took that to Tucson to, to try the Monday qualifier and, uh, I three putted the last hole to fall back into a playoff and then a six for one playoff and didn't make it. And I really had no intention of going back out to uh, California. I just like, oh, what do I want to turn around and go all the way back there for? I'll just wait and then, and then play the event in Mississippi. And I just felt like I was playing too well. I thought, why not? And so I did that. And I went back out and I was three under on the front and, and obviously got through, you know, like I just said. But uh, my game is a lot better. My attitude seems to be, of course, my attitude has always kind of been tied to uh, the way I've played. And maybe that's how most players are. And I think to my detriment, that's, that's unfortunately the kind of what I had fallen into throughout a good, I would say a good portion of my career. Um, and it's just, it's just one of the things I wish I could, I could do, have, have a do over, you know, I wish I could have a mulligan, but you know, I've, I've just, like I said, I just found this little grip change and, and I go out every day and you know, Lauren Roberts and I are playing, I'm making six, seven birdies a day. And so it's just a matter, I think of, of getting back, um, uh, you know, playing more competition. I did feel a little bit of uh, the nerves at the Hogue because I hadn't played a tournament in so long. And uh, I felt like I was playing well and, and uh, just, I just needed a few more starts and, um, you know, hopefully I'll get those, but it's going to be, it's going to be a little bit of time, but I've just been practicing my short game and those types of things, trying to keep that tidy. But my game is, uh, it feels it's in a much better place than it has been in a long time. And, um, uh, so I'm, I'm kind of anxious uh, to kind of get back and, and, uh, get a few more tournaments under my belt. I think put a little bit more pressure. Um, so maybe see if I can handle the pressure a little bit better than I did at Newport because Newport, I played great. I really did. I mean, my scores didn't really reflect that. I think it was three or four under or something for the week. And I was five under going to the last day with a couple of holes to go and, and shot three under. So I was a little bit disappointed, but, uh, I really feel like my game is in the right place I'm, I'm comfortable again over the ball and you know my game was always predicated upon you know kind of the, the ball striking aspect of it and over the last few years I've really worked hard on my putting and it's shown I've made a lot more birdies um 
I just need to, I just needed to kind of tidy up some of the things that I was always pretty good at. And, uh, this little grip change, uh, I mean, it seems it's just night and day the way I was hitting the ball from last year. So talk about that, right? Um, what change did you make in your grip and how did it come? How did you come upon deciding to make whatever that change was? Well, you know, I think back to what my coach said in college. And my coach my last two years was Sam Carmichael. And Sam played the tour from 62 to 69. And he left the tour because he, he got hepatitis. And so um, when he took over, uh, you know, my whole demeanor changed as a player. I mean, even up to that point, I thought I was going to be an airline pilot, my dad, FedEx. And he really encouraged me to go on, to, you know, to be a professional golfer. But while we were there, we always focused on the fundamentals. And I know that it kind of gets blown out of proportion sometimes that people think, oh, why do I need to work on that? Why do I need to work, you know, on that? Whether that's your grip or your alignment or your stance, those things, they all matter. And there's not necessarily a perfect grip or a perfect alignment because everybody sees the ball differently on the ground. And so that affects the way you line up. Um, but the grip is really the one thing that, it's, it, as Arnold Palmer used to say, it's the one thing that connects you to the club. To the, you know, to the club. I mean, you know, you got to have a good foundation of the grip. And when your grip is right, you know, your that club face just it, it repeats. It just and so I saw something about weakening the grip. So I went back and started going through a lot of my videos from, and pictures and stuff that I had from years and years ago, just to look at my right hand grip placement because I will tell you that a player working on his grip. It's, it's a lot easier to strengthen your grip than it is to weaken your grip. And so what needed, what needed really a left-hand grip change, I had to think about my right hand. And um, my right hand was just getting a little, bit, a little bit strong. And I started looking at some of my videos. And I was like, you know, it does look like, you know, the club face is a little shut going back. And that could be, that could be a couple of different things. But by weakening my right hand, it allowed me to weaken my left without really focusing on it because it's a horrible feeling to to weaken your grip and i just felt like i needed to do it and so and when i went out there and you know i was taking shallow divots again um i was hitting the center of the club face and those types of things uh when you're hitting the ball solidly um golf gets to be pretty easy you start hitting a few wayward shots as long as they're solid you can fix that it's when you're hitting it offline and miss hitting it that it really takes a lot of time to, to, to kind of figure out. But like I said, it was just an accident. I just saw something uh, <clears throat> about the grip and about the right hand grip and how, how the right hand, you know, kind of controlling was well, really the power hand, but the left hand really controlling the face. And so I needed to fix the left hand, but I focused, but by focusing on the right hand, it allowed me to not worry so much about the, the kind of the weak feeling that I had in my left. And I basically started, Two or three days, I just weakened my, weakened my grip, and all I did was chip, and I hit little 30, 40-yard shots. That's all I did for two or three days. And eventually, I got to where I could hit, you know, I could hit draws with a weaker left hand, and I knew that I was on to something. So there, I just kind of, you know, started linking out my practice, you know, to, to longer clubs, and, and it didn't take long to kind of move from, from the wedges into the driver. So it's, uh, it's been with me now for about three, three and a half months. So, Sean, do you think that uh, your grip changed? Just because jumping back in, maybe you got into uh, another habit, or do you think that was something that uh, came out of? We've talked uh, on the, you, you and I have talked about this on the show before about the injuries you've had and the shoulder and all that sort of stuff. When do you think it, it developed, and uh, and uh, you know how how hard is it 
because that's one of the things that uh, with my game, Tom Patrick has been telling me, hey, you got to change your grip, man. You got your your right hand is too strong. You got to get that back on top. You got to get your left hand here, and it does. Yeah. it feels weird right now. It does. It does. <clears throat> but I, I would say that you know it's hard to say where where I really started to go wrong. I I always had a tendency as a younger player, my grip would get a little bit too weak. So then I started going the other way, and whether it was the shoulder, I don't know. It felt like I needed more power, and a and a, and a strong grip does feel more powerful. Um, but you have to be able to release your body, and I'm not a body releaser. I don't rotate like, uh, say, a David Duvall or somebody that really rotates. I'm more of kind of a – my hips aren't that open at impact. Some of the things that I worked with uh, Larry Rinker on, we were talking about a few things, and, and – uh, so I didn't. I didn't change my grip because of that. I just I changed my grip because I didn't like some of the things um, that I saw in my takeaway, um, and particularly the, the shut club face at halfway back. It was darn near pointing, pointing straight down. Now it wasn't at the top, but what would happen is I would go from a very strong halfway back to a very open halfway down. And so those the face didn't really match up too well, and I had a lot of face rotation because I went from closed to open, trying to get everything closed again, that I just had so much inconsistency with the strike. Um, you know, the, you know, the right hand really. If you look at like Ben Hogan, I was kind of, and they were talking. The person I was kind of watching was they were talking about having this trigger finger in your right finger, and my finger was too far underneath. And so I basically just put the V, what I would, you know, for anybody that's listening out there, you picture the V of your hand, maybe get it pointing at your right, at your right chin. The one good thing about your right, your wrist is your wrist rotate independently really of your forearm and your upper arm. So you can, you can still, you can still kind of tuck your right arm in, you know, to keep your shoulder square and just turn your, turn your hand over and it doesn't really feel awkward. And so again, weakening the left hand if that's something that people are wanting or are being told to do make sure you also weaken your right hand and i think that it, it basically makes your hand just feel like it's right on top of the club and i promise you you know it it, it it'll, it'll straighten you out my ball is going it goes dead straight and that's how i used to play my ball always went straight and i've i've kind of found that again and, and plus uh you know i found that the, the consistency of the strike the consistency of the divots the direction of the divots it all seems to be matching up for, uh, you know, for the way I swing the club. Sean, just changing gears a little bit, a couple of questions and some of this stuff we've talked about in the past, but uh, for our listeners tuning in for the first time and hearing our conversation, one of the things that um, going back to your 2003 PGA championship, when uh, on the last hole and your magic seven iron and the great shot that you hit, I think, you know, when you look at the video and the crowd goes wild and all that sort of thing, I think what people probably don't realize is because of the undulation of the fairway and the green, you really never saw that shot land and where it ended up until you got all the way up on top of the green. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's true. That is true. There's actually uh, about three or four weeks ago, there was a, a tweet put out by the PGA uh, Championship and it was somebody had asked a question. Um, and it really kind of went back to my shot, you know, what it was something like name, a name, a great shot in final round history or something like that. And so they used mine for this particular, um, story and they had a video, um, uh, has me hitting the shot. And then, you know, Jim Nance is doing, providing his live commentary. <clears throat> and then there was a camera that was behind me 
and I look over at the camera and in, in, in this video, and you can probably pull it up on YouTube. Um, and, it, and you can read my lips and I say, how close is that ball? Where, I, I think I said the first thing was, where's that ball? Or how close is that ball? I asked him twice and I didn't get a response either time. So I did not know how close the ball was. I think just, you know, just being there, uh, you know, I could see that the ball was kind of online, but I couldn't really get a gauge of where it was in relation to the front of the green. And so I, I thought maybe, well, is that short? Is it is it long? I mean, I knew it was a pretty good shot just from the from the way the crowd <clears throat> kind of responded. Um, but it was uh, really it wasn't until I got up to the to the to the hole, or, you know, to the top of the hill there to uh, to see that it was like three inches away. I, I didn't I didn't really anticipate that. But uh, um, you know, again, as I said, it was just a it was an absolute perfect distance. Uh, it, it really was, and uh, really required no thought on my part other than just grabbing the club out of the bag and, and getting it over with as quickly as I could. That's pretty much what I did. I didn't take a whole lot of time, um, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I, I remember that like it was yesterday standing back there and, and looking over at the cameraman and just, just picking him out and asking him, I said, where's that ball? And I got nothing. <laughs> and, and it's interesting. You mentioned it's a perfect distance. And I had Hal Sutton on the show a few weeks ago and we were talking about his, a couple of his shots and the and the PGA Championship that he won in '83, and then the the Players Championship against Tiger in 2000, and he said, and that's essentially what he said as well is, you know, those clubs, those shots that I hit were just the perfect distance for you know one one of the irons, went five iron and in '83, six iron in 2000, but but it's still you got to pull the shot off, whether it's the perfect distance or not, you still got the pressure of the situation. How do you deal with that? Like, you know, even though you know the distance, how do you deal with the pressure? Well, I mean, well, certainly in my case, and Hal's also, because I remember that shot at, at, at that Players' Championship, too. And, and uh, you know, he had his famous saying, be the right club today. And so um, I think you just draw back on, uh, you know, the experiences that you've been having, having that particular tournament. I mean, you can look back at some of the great shots you've hit uh, in your lifetime and, and, and that may, that may help you, but it's really kind of how you were feeling at the time. And I've been hitting the ball pretty well. That entire week was just a, was just magical in terms of ball striking. I mean, I really had good control of, you know, my distance and, and, and everything. And again, the consistency of the strike. I mean, I was, I was hitting the ball so solidly that everything was going the right distance. And so it wasn't, um, I really went back to, Tuesday's practice round when I when I got up to that ball on Sunday because I had the same yardage from Chad's side of the fairway on Tuesday. It's in the practice round. The pin was about the same distance onto the green. It was more in the middle of the green though, and um, there's a little bit of wind in my face, and the ball came up right on the front fringe. And so when I got up to the shot on Sunday, Bob, I asked Bob, I said, "This is the same. This is the same exact shot we had on Tuesday," and he said, "Yep." And so I grabbed a seven and I had like one, you know, 161 and 13. Um, and I had no, I had no problem. I mean, the first thing you do is you take stock of, okay, where are you in the tournament? What's up there around the green? What kind of lie do I have? You know, the pin, you know, the pin was eight or nine from the left. It was 13 on. There were 30 yards to the right of the pin. There was no undulations. There was nothing really that I had to worry about. There was no water. It was just about getting it onto the green. And so I didn't have to think about all of those 
things that take away from kind of your preparation. I mean, the things that I just mentioned about no water, I mean, those things went through my mind in about one second. And then the rest of it was just about taking stock of the lie and and just making sure you pick the right club, make sure you got your math right, and those types of simple things. But the simple things are sometimes the things that trip you up. And it just, it, it just I don't know, it just came off. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a great golf swing. But, but again, you just have to kind of dig deep, take a few deep breaths and recognize the situation and know that, you, you know, that you've done it before. And it's just another shot, really. Um, I, it was a very meaningful shot, of course. Um, you know, now, had I had a two-shot lead or had I, had I been tied, who knows where I would have hit it. Um, you know, we'll never know that. But uh, um, it's just as a matter of just kind of staying in the moment, I think. And it is okay to kind of drift away and, and look back at some past experiences, you know, if you feel like you need to do that. But you can't really um, – I had never been in a situation quite like that, so I didn't have anything really to compare it to. So it was just a matter of kind of going through those pre-shot – the pre-shot routine, I think, that, that, I, that I really had for myself that week and, and, uh, and just trying and, – and just execution, I guess. And as you mentioned, you know, it might have been different if you were tied or, you know, a different situation. Um, how do you keep negative thoughts from coming into your mind? Because as I look back at that tournament, I went through the scorecards, you know, for you and Chad, and, and you're coming off a of 17 and you bogeyed 17. So now you went from a two-stroke lead to a one-stroke lead. And a lot of guys, you know, and I just speak for myself, you know, even when I'm just playing with my buddies and, uh, you know, for bragging rights or a NASA or whatever, and um, you, you, you know, I make those sorts of mistakes, all of a sudden the negative thought starts to creep into your head like, oh, I just gave that away. And now if I bogey this hole and then, you know, if he happens to birdie, then I could lose and all those sort of, how do you block that stuff out? Well, I mean, those are the things that happen. I mean, I think that when you play it, that, that's really why I think I felt so much of ease really going into the last round because it was a golf course that was, well, it was extremely difficult. It was, it was unbelievably hot. So you were tested physically. Um, fairways were narrow. The rough was basically chip-out rough. So I didn't really really have any worry about about someone coming, you know, coming from way behind. As long as I just kind of could manage myself um, and avoid the big number, I felt like I was going to be fine. And that held true for the most part. I got to 15. The green uh, has since been changed, but but Chad and I both hit on the left side of the green, and it was a really 10, 12-foot breaking putt. Well, I, I mean, I three-putted. it. I left my putt about six feet short. It broke way right and came up short six, seven feet, and Chad made the putt. I went from a three-shot lead to a one-shot lead on one green. And, uh, you know, then birdied the next hole. And then, like I said, my, my bogey on 17 was a result because I drove the ball too far through the fairway, and I was a foot out of the first cut and I was in the deep rub. I had no choice. So what I didn't feel like I, I didn't feel like I, you know, kind of let myself down. I hit a, I hit what I thought was a great drive. Uh, Chad hit a, hit, a, hit a great one right down the middle of the fairway on 17. So he was kind of in the driver's seat there, but from there it was just about managing, you know, where I was in the tournament. And then um, I will say though, that I was nervous on 18 T because I had, I had missed the fairway on 16 to the right. I had, or excuse, yeah, 16 to the right, and I and I got very fortunate with having a short club into the green, and then I missed the green, uh, missed the fairway on 17. So now Chad gets up and he hits the fairway, and and I'm like, I have to hit this fairway because otherwise I'm I'm chipping out and this could be a playoff. So the pressure I felt really was was uh, was on the tee ball and not so much really, 
the the fact that I'd made a bogey or two because I'd been making those all week. I mean, everybody was. I mean, you just could not play that golf course uh, without you know finding finding a bit of trouble somewhere. It was just about managing your you know the the big mistakes. I mean, sometimes bogeys bogeys don't really hurt you, but but uh, you know it's just a game. I mean, you have to you have to put those things behind you. Um, you know, and I just felt like I was I was too close to doing something really special to let my emotion or or you know disappointment or frustration or anger even um, because of a misplayed shot I, to to let it affect me that that close to the end. I just I just couldn't do it. I mean, I had to figure out a way to, to push forward, and I and I and I did. Um, you know, I did with you know with getting that ball into the fairway or the first cut of the fairway there on on the on the last hole really kind of set me up. Um, you know, for the shot that, that, uh, you know, that kind of sealed it. And Sean, as I've said to you many times and to this audience many times, I think you're one of the most underrated players of the 2000s. And I look back at, at 2006, you, you finished second at the PGA that year and you, you, uh, and finished second at the, at the world match play championship. But in doing so you beat Tiger Woods in the first round of that match play event. You beat him four and three. And that was, as everybody knows, really at the height of, you know, his success. I mean, he had, he had won two majors in 2005 and finished second and fourth in the other two, and then would go on in 2006 and win two more majors and finish third and another, you draw him in the first round. And I think if it were someone yeah. like me and I, and I get tiger in the first round, I'm thinking, geez, you know, no, no need to make long, uh, you know, travel arrangements here. I'll, I'll be done here in, uh, in a little bit and I'll be heading home. You go out and win four and three. Talk about that. Oh, that was a, that was a great segue, Chris, because, um, you know, I, uh, well, two stories really is, uh, when I got there, um, you know, Tiger Woods had won five tournaments in a row, um, five stroke play events in a row. And, um, we got there and nobody really cares that much really about seeding. Um, Tiger Woods being obviously the number one player in the world, everybody assumed that he was going to be the number one seed. Well, it turned out because Ernie was Ernie Ellis was the defending champion. Ernie was the number one seed and Tiger was the number two seed. I was going to be the 16th seed. And then because of my finish in the PGA, it bumped me up to the 15th seed. And so consequently, Simon Kahn from Europe got Ernie and I got Tiger. And uh, <laughs> one of the funny things was that uh, we were driving. Uh, it, it was a great event. It's really too bad that it's off the schedule. Um, but what they would do is at Wentworth, they would give every player and his caddy and sometimes his agent manager, maybe a couple of family members or whoever, uh, they had a house for you on or near, right near the golf course. And they had a, they had a cook and they had, somebody kind of look after you and stuff like that. And cause there were long days and we were playing 36 old matches. So we're driving around one day, this lady's picked us up and taking us to the course. And my wife, Stephanie was with me and she was, uh, let's see, you know, she was four or five months pregnant at the time. And, uh, they said, well, have you ever been to London before? And of course I had, but my wife says, Oh, I haven't. She goes, well, she goes, well, are you gonna have time to see anything? And my wife says, yeah, we're going to go into London on Friday. Cause Sean plays tiger on Thursday. So I was already, I was already, I was already defeated there before I even teed off. So, um, I think she likes to remember that story a little bit differently, but that's, that's clearly what I got out of it. And, and so, um, you know, it's just, uh, I played well, played very well. I don't think Tiger, uh, I think he thought I was a 
decent player. I mean, was I at his caliber? Of course not. But it's match play, and and I was playing well, and and uh, you know, I think in the end, I, I think it surprised him a little bit because uh, I was doing so well, uh, playing so well. I mean, I was probably eight or nine under, maybe ten under for the you know thirty one holes that we that we completed. You know, so um, I guess thirty two holes that we completed. So I was playing really well, and uh, it, it just. You know, it just worked out. I mean, I, I played well, and and he didn't play his best. Uh, greens were maybe a little bit slower than what we're all a little bit used to, and maybe I just adapted to those a little bit better than he did. It's it's hard to say, but uh, it, it felt good. It felt good. But I always knew where I stood in the game of golf compared to him. I, I just it was a it was a a nice kind of feather in my cap. But uh, um, it was it was a great event. It really was. Um, you know, I had a lot of stories in that event. My first time, I'll, and I'll digress a little bit, but my first time I ever played in that event was in 2000 and, well, it was 2003, right after after I'd won. I get over there, and I'm going to have to play VJ in the first match. So I wasn't feeling really well. So I'd gone over to the spot. to sit in the steam room to kind of clear my head. I just not a, had a really bad cold. I just wasn't feeling great. And so I, gave, I came back, and I noticed there were some things kind of moved around in my bedroom. And I thought that's kind of weird. And then all of a sudden, we had somebody. While I was in the, when I was at the club at the steam room, in that time between me leaving and coming back, somebody had broken into our house while my caddy and my manager and the cook were downstairs, and had stolen like my my manager's credit cards. I think he, he still had his passport, but stolen money and a bunch of other stuff out of the house. So that was kind of my introduction to the world match play in 2003. Was wow. uh, getting robbed. Um, the night before the first match. And then I played well against VJ and he beat me and uh, uh, he buried the last hole to tie me and then, and then uh, beat me on the second hole of the, so he beat me in 38 holes. So that was kind of my, that was my introduction to the world match play. Wow. Great stories. Um, yeah. Huge feather in your cap. And I think something that you don't get enough credit for was, was that in the year that you had in 2006, um, one of the, one of the best years, I think, outside of the stuff that Tiger achieved, uh, for that, uh, you know, for that first decade of the 2000s, if it hadn't been for that shoulder injury, who knows, uh, what might've happened, uh, from there. Cause you were, like I said, you were one of the top players during that first part of the decade. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of regret that I have to this day really about that. You know, my surgery was, was in June of 2008. So we're coming up on 12 years, you know, um, but I really got injured in 2007 and I continued to play through that year. And, um, I think a lot of it was just denial. I, I, I just felt like, oh, there's something going on. I just don't feel like I'm, and I'm just looking at the stats. I had switched golf ball companies right in the middle, which, which created a lot, which created a big mess really for my manager and for me really. Um, you know, and, and I have since apologized to the former president of this company because, um, uh, not that the golf company that I switched to was good or bad. It just, it, it, it just was one of the things that kind of, I started seeing some things that were, were not normal. And I said, oh, my shoulders bother me a little bit, but it didn't, I could still swing. And um, I finally went to a doctor sometime towards the end of that year. And instead of getting an MRI, you know, I got a, I got a, a you know, an x-ray and, um, I continued to play. I continued to practice. My shoulder continued to pop and snap. 
the first person that really hurt, heard my shoulder and mentioned it to me was Boo Weekly, and that was in New Orleans of, of 2007 uh, or 2008. Um, and then the person that really pushed me towards getting uh, a more in-depth look at it was Zach Johnson. Zach and I were playing the last round at the, at the Wells Fargo Championship at Quail Hollow, and he, he came up to me on the 12th tee box after I hit, and he said, Sean, I'm sorry to bother you. He goes, what is that snapping? My caddy and I have been talking about this since we started. We don't know if, you're, if something's in your pocket or what, and uh, it was my shoulder. My labrum had torn, and it was just popping. And it just sounded like you, like you clap your finger, you know, you snap your fingers. That's what it sounded like. And I was used to hearing it. I just wasn't, I didn't know anybody else could hear it. Um, and then he had a person that was uh, a physical therapist that he and I were talking about. And I actually went in the next week was the players championship. I went to see uh, President Bush's uh, former doctor and, and uh, he did a quick MRI and gave me the film, told me it didn't look too good. And I took it back to the, I drove straight to the clubhouse, and, and Dr. Job, I believe he was the one who started the Tommy John surgery. He happened to be in our fitness trailer, and I asked him if he would put this disc in, and he, of course, had all the all of the, the PTs that, that work on the tour truck were there, and, and uh, he said, Sean, i got to tell you something. He goes, I don't do surgery, but my good friend Dr. Andrews does, and that's, that's it's kind of a long-winded story, um, really, but, but again, it's one of, the, one of my biggest regrets, I think, is to not have uh, kind of followed through with, with listening to my body and, and taking a bit more of a proactive role in, in my own health. I think I was too stubborn to realize it was the last part of my exemption in, you know, 07 and 08 was coming up. And I played that Masters in 08. I just I had to play in it. And then I withdrew from the last three majors. So uh, it just, uh, those things never come at a good time, whatever career you're in. It, uh, it, but it was a big regret of mine. Um, well, it still is. It is a big regret of mine to not have kind of followed up with, uh, you know, what I thought was a, was a big problem. It turned out it was. And, and uh, it's tough at 39 years of age. I recovered well. I had a good 2010. And, and then, uh, of course, my mom got sick and passed away of lung cancer. And so it just kind of just put me on a downward spiral, I think, for a while. And, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, we, we all have things that, that we look back on and, and wish we could have done them a little bit differently. But uh, you know, that's just the way my life works sometimes. Well, Sean, before I let you go, for uh, all your fans out there that uh, are rooting hard for you like me, that uh, are uh, checking the, uh, have been checking the Champions Tour leaderboards and, and looking for your name and pulling hard for you, for, for those of us that are going to continue to do so, talk about how we can stay up to date with the tournaments you're playing in and stay up to date with uh, all the great things you're doing. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly, certainly PJTour.com has got got everything out there. I do a little bit of social media. I mean, nothing I I do is too profound on there. I, I like to follow more of a more of a follower than a leader. I always tell people I'm a boring follow because I just don't have anything that's worth sharing. Uh, I don't have any problems that I'm able to solve, so I don't put out a lot out there. But before we go, I would like to say one thing. There is, you know, being a former collegiate golfer at Indiana and uh, played there for four years. There was a story that I kind of came across with a couple two, three weeks ago, and it's from a, a university called St. Andrews University in Austin, Texas, a Division II program. And uh, the, the coach down there, Chris Hill, was doing an a interview with Colt Nost and, uh, oh, what's the show? It's called Gravy in the Sleeves or something like that, Drew Stoltz, I think. And they were talking about this program uh, losing, being um, eliminated from 
uh, from sport in, at their university. And uh, it's really tragic, I think, with some of the things that are happening with uh, you know, athletic departments now facing you know, major shortfalls, whether or not a lot of sports are going to be continued. There was a waiver, a petition for you know, the NCAA to waive the rule of having 16 varsity sports, which would have cut out a lot of, a lot of people. Um, and, and speaking directly to like, uh, you know, non-revenue sports, golf and, and stuff like that. But, you know, they've, they've eliminated six sports down there. And uh, I told them I'd try to get out on social media however I could to, to try to generate interest in their program. Um, I, you know, I I have no ties to the university. I have ties to collegiate golf. And I have, I have ties to the men and women, uh, the young kids that go out and play and, and try to perform for their sports while being student athletes. And, um, you know, some of the what, what, they're, what they're being asked to do is, is uh, to me, is darn near impossible. But but definitely a shout out to all the all the student athletes out there that are that are wondering whether or not there's going to be a place in their life for sport. Um, you know, come this fall, I can't imagine the the challenges and the difficulties that these universities are facing with uh, this this you know kind of unrelenting pandemic and how it's affected everybody. It's had a huge trickle down effect on the PGA Tour. You're seeing events being have been canceled, postponed. You're seeing champions events. You're seeing collegiate events. I mean. These, uh, it just it just just had a trickle down effect, and uh, you know I'm speaking to golf. I know it's affected everybody else in their livelihoods as well, but I know golf, and uh, I know everybody's suffering. But I just look at the young people down there uh, at the universities like St. Edwards, um, that uh, great great facilities and 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 put on a great you know program for their kids to to kind of grow and mature and, and enjoy their college experience. Um, you know, maybe having that taken away. And, and uh, so I, I definitely feel, you know, for kids like that. And, you know, maybe, it's, you know, as my career is kind of coming to an end at some point here, I start thinking about, you know, what the kids and their future. And uh, it's, it's hard to see some of these things that are happening. Yeah, no, and I couldn't agree with that more. And thank you for bringing that story out. And the trickle down effect of this thing has been huge. And I don't think that uh, we fully grasped all of those sorts of things. Talk to Paul Levy about that in the last segment about uh, the tournaments that haven't been played, which have contributed to, you know, less amount of money that are going out to the charities that the PGA of America and the PGA tour support all the way down to the local charity events that happen every year that only raise a few thousand dollars, but those dollars are still important as well to the local charities that charitable golf, you know, golf, you know, golf courses have like, you know, yours there in Memphis. So the fact that we are missing all of those things and then don't know what the fall is going to bring, it's going to have a profound effect on the, the pro thing aside, because those guys are making multi-million dollars a year. I'm sure they'll be fine for those that aren't. And for the college kids that aren't, and they can't, uh, you know, you talk about the Olympics that got postponed and those kids that have been training for years and years and years, and now they've got to go another 12 to 18 months before they can realize their dreams. But it's, you know, for the college kids that are going to try to get out on tour, it's for the college kids that are trying to go from their junior year to their senior year and going to miss out on a lot of those things. It's, it's been a huge and a dramatic impact. I hope we get back to some sense of normalcy, Sean, but I don't know that we are. I just don't know what that looks like. You know, when you think about the sports that you know you go watch and I go watch and the football games that you've gone to see for the, the University of Memphis and the, and the Liberty Bowl that you go to every year and, yeah. and some of those things. There's no social distancing in those stands. I don't know what that's going to look like. 
Yeah, it's hard to say. It really is. I mean, I think there's a lot of there's still a lot of unknowns, but I can I can assure you that all of us are looking forward to turning on the TV and seeing some good news. Um, yeah, we it's, are. Uh, it's it's not uh, we're not seeing a whole lot of that right now, and and uh, you know nobody has a crystal ball, so it's hard to say. So you kind of deal with what you got at the present moment, and uh, but it's just you know these things are these things are real. I mean, people are losing their jobs, and and I'm you know of course speaking directly to these to these young kids who who, uh, you know, are, and, and these aren't scholarships. I mean, the men's team has 2.4 scholarships on a school that's a little over $60,000 a year to go to. Um, so it's, uh, it's tragic for everybody that's experiencing it. And, uh, you know, I brought this up just because, in a, just in a golf context, um, there's so many other people that are suffering as well. But I just look at the young kids and, and, uh, and my kids and everybody's kids that aren't able to go to school and, and those types of things. And, really what their future holds. It's a scary time for everybody, but more, even more so, I think, for the kids um, that are kind of losing out on some of the opportunities to, uh, to, to really grow into, you know, really good, solid human beings. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Well, Sean, I can't thank you enough for being generous with your time and, and coming back and be a part of the show. I always enjoy spending time with you. I hope we get the opportunity to do it again uh, in more positive times here in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, I, and like I said, I'll just uh, look forward to everybody being able to get back to doing what they love doing. Indeed. Well, Sean, stay safe. All the best to you and your family. We look forward to catching up with you again, like I say, hopefully real soon. Thank you, Chris. I enjoyed being with you. Be safe. All right, you too. Thank you, Sean. Okay. That's the great Sean McKeel, folks. Doesn't get much better than that. Um, he's not much on social media, but, uh, he does, uh, pop in every once in a while at Sean McKeel PGA on Twitter. And, uh, hopefully we get to see him on leaderboards on the champions tour real soon. All right, my friends, it's time for me to put a bow on this episode of next on the team. My sincere thanks to Eric Johnson, Paul Levy, and Sean McKeel for joining me. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net. On there, you'll be able to see what our guest schedule looks like. You'll also be able to stream or download any of our archive episodes because we link back over to our page on podcast.co and that's .co, not .com, so podcast.co. You can also find the show available as a podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, and Player.fm. Folks, as always, thank you so much for choosing to listen to the show tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you're continuing to make Next on the Tea a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.